Good morning. My name's Yvonne. I haven't been up here in like, oh, a year and a bit. And you're all here and you're going to be kind to me, aren't you? I'm going to share some stories about my boys this morning. Not because my boys are perfect, because I'm about to give them a don't heckle me warning. Don't heckle. Um, But I do have their permission to share the stories. Um, And so I just want to let you know that at the outset. It's not that they're perfect. It's just that they're, they're who I've been with for the last year and a half while we've been all busy in lockdown. I love this topic of alongsiders because during this season when we've been a little bit dislocated, particularly last year when we had that 5k bubble or we had to stay in our home, you know, even wearing masks, it was actually harder to be together, harder to be with each other. And so this theme of alongsiders is a really great reminder of how can we actually do that better. And I, what I love about this community of new communities, we actually do it very well already. I actually think we really do punch above our weight in some ways of caring for each other and alongside siding with each other but we can do better we can do more because there is a great deal of need out there Um, Harvard University did a study and I think it's been running for like since 1938 where they were tracking a group of um, blokes and they were checking out what was it over their lifetime that was the connection between life and happiness and what they discovered over the series of you know doing these um, doing these surveys with these people is that the actual key component to happiness is connectedness. Actually being connected with others, whether that's family, friends, community, the network, the place where you belong, whatever it is. But connected was was the key correlation for happiness in that study. I want to talk this morning about a few stories of Jesus and his alongsidiness. But first, I thought we should check out what we mean by this word alongsiders. Alongsider is someone who intentionally, intentionally, not by accident, intentionally comes alongside another for the purpose of being with them so that life might be better than if they were going it alone. The reality is this life is hard enough as it is, let alone adding, needing to go through things alone. So that's why alongsiders is so important at the moment. So this is my lads and I. This is actually just two of my lads. Uh, Last weekend, after we did the Easter Friday walk here, we put our packs in the car and we headed off out to um, the mountains and we did a hike. And it was just beautiful being in the bush and it just made me reflect on this alongsiders business because there were times when we were walking together as a group, there were times when we spread out and we walked separately, there were times when the conversation was frantic and there was lots of things to talk about and there were times when it was really silent and we could hear the birds. And there were times when I actually tried to catch up with Jack who was up ahead because he walks fast just so that I could walk with him and times when I lingered back so that I could walk with Charlie because his legs weren't as long. And it was just this beautiful image of what does it look like for us to walk alongside each other in the journey of life. I want to share three pictures. I don't know quite how to make that go away. You can keep looking at them, it's okay. I want to share three pictures of Jesus, three little stories of Jesus um, after that initial Easter part of the story. So there was the Easter story where Jesus was betrayed, the Easter part of the story where Jesus um, was tried, the part of the story where Jesus was crucified, the part of the story where Jesus came out of the tomb. And I want to tell three stories of what he did next. So this is the first one. 
It's from uh, Luke, and it's in chapter 24, if you want to have a look along. Now, that same day, that same day that they ran to the tomb and found that the tomb was open, that same day, two of them, two of Jesus' followers, were going along to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Now, he didn't they didn't recognize him. I don't know what was going on there, but the resurrected Jesus, they couldn't recognize him. He was just someone who joined them, who matched step with them and started to chat with them. And he said to them, gee, you guys are in an in-depth conversation. What are you chatting about? And they turned to him and said, no, I was about to say, have you been, un- no, I can't say have you been under a rock because that would be wrong. <laughs> yeah, there it is. They said, are you the only one that doesn't know what's been going on? Where have you been? How can you not have heard this information about what's been going on? Where have you been? And they began to tell the story of their Jesus, who they were following and who they had great hopes for and how he had been arrested and how he had been crucified and the whole story. And then they added, and now they're saying that his tomb's empty and and, and we don't know what's going on. And here they are walking There's Jerusalem and they're walking away to another place and their heads are downcast. And he says, why so downcast? Why so downcast? They said to him, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had hoped that he was going to have the victory They had hoped that he was going to overthrow the oppressive rulers. They had hoped. And now here they were, walking, heads downcast, along a road, going, well, that didn't pan out the way we thought. And don't we all relate to that? We had hoped something would be different, and it's not. This is not the way we thought it would pan out they said. Don't we all relate to that? We've all purchased a story of what our life will be look like or the way something will pan out. We've all purchased a story and embedded ourselves in it and then found ourselves somewhere down the track going, that's not how I thought it would work out. And that's what the disciples were saying. Perhaps it's that you'd hoped your business would turn out differently. Perhaps you'd hoped that you'd be married for a lifetime. Perhaps you'd hoped that the cancer would go away. Perhaps you hoped that the kids wouldn't move overseas and be far away. Perhaps you hoped that someone would live. Perhaps you hoped that the problem that you were facing would resolve itself. Perhaps you had hoped for a different career path. Perhaps you had hoped for a dream that you purchased and it wasn't panning out the way you thought. That's what our disciples found themselves in in that very moment. They had hoped but we had hoped, is what they said. How often have we come across somebody who says this isn't how it was meant to be? The disciples find themselves with heads hung low and Jesus comes alongside. And what I love is that he doesn't, you know, get angry at them. He doesn't get cross at them. He doesn't turn them around and march them back again. He says, oh, come on. Do I have to paint it out? 
And what he did was he matched their step and he journeyed on with them. And he had a really long, involved conversation with them where he just, he unpacked so much information and he, he kind of reoriented their story. He turned their story around so that they could see that they had, they had purchased the wrong story. The story that they had hoped for was not the right story. He, uh, he may have had lots of moments where he asked really poignant questions. He may have had lots of moments where he was quite silent while they processed what he was actually saying. There may have been times when he actually said, no, listen again, and he told again. I don't know, whatever it was, but Jesus entered into this space where he, he, he made it about them understanding. He made it about them being reoriented. What I love about this is that they've gone on in their journey and they're walking and they're walking. It's about seven miles, so a good few hours of walking. And it gets to the point in the journey where they're like, well, this is us, we're here. And he's like, oh, well, then, see you later. And they go, oh, no, please stay. He's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And he stays with them. In fact, he he doesn't just journey with them. He doesn't just turn off with them. He stays for dinner. He's deeply embedded in this moment. He doesn't look at his watch and go, sorry, somewhere else to be. I've got other appearances to make. He's just fully there with them. And he even stays for dinner. And somewhere in the conversation, there's a moment where he's like got some bread and he breaks it. And they're like, oh, why didn't we see it before? It's the master. It's Jesus. And in the breaking of the bread, they recognized who he was. And the story all kind of made sense, like a beautiful Tetris game. It all fell into place. And they went, oh, it totally makes sense. And the story was reoriented and Jesus disappears. And what do they do? They jump up and they hot foot it back to where they were always meant to be. They turn around, they do an almighty U-turn and they get back to Jerusalem where they were meant to be before they hung their heads low and had their feet in the dust, dragging their feet all the way to Emmaus. They turned around and they went back. Jesus journeying with them reoriented them completely. I wonder if that's what an alongsider does. An alongsider comes in and joins the journey for whatever season, for whatever amount of time an alongsider comes in. It might be a come in and come out journeying, but they come in and they journey alongside. They match your stride They'll enter the conversation. They'll make sure that it's not about themselves, but it's about you understanding where you need to be. And a longsider is invested. And a longsider might even stay for dinner. But that's going to cost us, isn't it? Because we can't look at our watches and go, sorry, somewhere else to be. We actually have to choose to invest and to stay there. The second story I want to look at is... uh, is another appearance that happened uh, pretty much that evening. It's from John chapter 20, and it's in verse 19 and 20 in particular. And it happened the same day. So the same day as the resurrection, that afternoon he's on Emmaus Road, that evening, this is what happens. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them, And said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
The disciples were overjoyed. So here's his second moment. They're in the room. They're, they're, locked. they're, they're probably locked in, in fear in a room. And it's possibly a similar kind of conversation to the two guys on the road. They were probably feeling a bit downcast. They were probably saying, this isn't how it was meant to be. What's going on? Are we in danger now? Are they going to bust down the doors and come and arrest us too? And they were probably feeling pretty flat. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus in the room. And he says, peace be with you. And then he says, check out my scars. Now, some of you will be sitting there going, I thought it was the resurrected Jesus. Like, because... In the other story, they, like he, was, he was different. They couldn't recognise him. But, and, but he's still got the scars. Wouldn't you think they'd all be like healed and ta-da? But he's actually still got the scars because that's the first thing he does to them is he says, look at my scars. I think it's because scars matter. I think it's because scars matter. And don't we all have scars? Don't we all have wounds that are at various stages of being healed? I think scars matter. Jesus' scars were from a vicious flogging. His scars were from nails piercing his hand. His scars were from a spear in his side. He even possibly had scars on his head from a crown of thorns that had been pushed down into his head. Jesus still had scars, and I think it's because scars matter. We all have scars. Sometimes they're from physical injuries or from medical interventions. Sometimes they're from stupid accidents. Sometimes they're scars from pain. Sometimes they're scars that aren't visible. Sometimes they're scars from when people have hurt us. Sometimes they're scars from broken hearts. Whatever our scars are, scars matter, just like Jesus' scars did. And scars are a representation of wounds being healed. You see, Jesus came alongside these guys in a room and he showed them his scars. He showed them his scars because his scars were a physical reminder, physical, actual, tangible evidence of what he had done in order for our wounds to be healed. By his wounds, we are healed. What happened to Jesus, the person on the cross, actually is part of how our wounds will go on and be healed as well. Jesus came alongside, showed his scars to reveal his authentic journey. Jesus could have presented it all perfect, but he didn't. He presented authentic and real and scarred. And alongside her, isn't afraid to show their scars. An alongsider isn't afraid to show wounds that have healed. In fact, it can be a great blessing if an alongsider comes along and isn't perfect and shows that they are real and that they have journeyed and that they have experienced healing. The third picture I want to share is Jesus on a beach. Now, it would be lovely if this was like, and that was that afternoon and it was that evening and it was the next morning, but it's not. It's a little while later. Um, but it's, and we don't know how much later, but it's a little while later. There's a scene where the disciples, some of his followers, had actually said, well, don't know what to do now. Let's go fishing. Back to what we knew. 
We're going to head back out and they're out on the water and they're fishing and they're pretty glum and the fish have decided not to be around these glum guys because who wants to be around guys who are downcast and glum? So they're not catching anything. And then someone from the shore yells out, throw your net on the other side. And so they throw the net on the other side and oh my goodness, if the net isn't just overflowing and filling and here's John in the boat and he's looking and he's like, it's, it's the master. It's Jesus. It's the resurrected Jesus on the shore. And so John grabs straight for the oars. But what does Peter do? He's, he's out. He's like, he's, you know, straight into the water. And he's swimming to shore. He's, he's even, hasn't even stopped to go, well, perhaps we best bring the haul of fish in and row intelligently. To... He's so impulsive because something in him is just, it's the master, it's Jesus, and he's just gone and he's swimming ashore. <clears throat> as soon as Simon Peter heard him, that's John, say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. When they get to shore, it's Jesus and he's lit a fire. You know, the smell of smoke, you can smell it, you know, the fire. And they've gotten to the shore and Peter's there and he's saturating wet and he's probably looking at Jesus and he's just gone, And he's like, what, what, what was I thinking leaping out of the boat and coming straight at him? I forgot. I am filled to the brim with shame. Because you see, Peter, not that long ago, had said, I will be with you to the end. And then there was a moment when it was getting towards the end for Jesus. And he was being arrested and he was going to be crucified. And Peter told someone he didn't belong with Jesus. The thing that he said he'd never do, he denied Jesus. And now here he is, on the, and, the, and the shame has welled up in him. And he's, he's impulsively swum to shore, and he's there, and he's probably looking at Jesus going, oh. And there's a beautiful moment where Jesus, around the fire, they have something to eat. They're doing real normal life, sitting around, talking, whatever it is they're doing. And he leans in and says, Peter... Do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And he does it three times and it's really big. And Jesus leans in and says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I've got stuff for you to do. Don't we all know what it feels like to have shame? Don't we all know what it feels like to be in those places where we feel like if people knew what was really going on, if people knew what what had happened or how that thing panned out, the shame of knowing that you got it wrong or the shame of not being good enough or the shame of fear that you'll be judged or the shame and the fear of failing or knowing that we've already failed and what will people think or fear of letting someone down or that we'll get rejected, all of that. We relate to that. And what does Jesus do? 
he leans in and says, come on, come back. And I don't know, I wasn't there, but I imagine if I was Peter, if it was me, I'd go, no, I don't deserve it. And Jesus would go, come on. And I'd go, but you don't know how broken I am. And he would go, come closer. And I'd go, but you've no idea how many times I've stuffed things up. And I would assume that he was judging me and that I wasn't good enough. And it would be a push and a pull and a push and a pull. And I'd want to come in, but then I'd push him back away. And I'd want him to help and change things, but I'd push him away. And I think the alongsider knows how to go, I get that you're pushing me away. Come on back in. No, don't push me away again. Come on back in. No, don't push me away again. Come on back in. Because I think that's what we do, is there's a push and a pull. And part of, Jesus, part of Peter's healing was in that moment of actually coming back in, coming back in and coming back in. We do know shame. And Jesus reinstates. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus did to Peter. Even Peter, the one who actually said, nah, don't want a bar of him. Don't know him. Not me. Got the wrong guy. Jesus reinstates that guy. Jesus reinstates. So my question is, who is God asking you to be in this? Sometimes he might be asking you to be the person who walks a mile with somebody and stops at the end and has a meal. Just walk a mile with them. Just walk the journey. Do you need me to take you to that appointment? I'll take you in the car. Do you need me to help you out with that thing? Do you need to process that thing? And walks a mile with them. Someone who's willing to invest in a conversation without judgment. Someone be willing to be a voice of clarity in a conversation because like those disciples we often find ourselves in a place where we don't know what's the right story to believe and to have someone who comes in beside us and says let me help you nut that out let me help you think I'm not the expert but I will help you nut it out and maybe help reorient you because maybe you need to do a u-turn that's what an alongsider does like Jesus we need to be alongsiders who ask good questions who are happy to sit in the silence sometimes and who are happy to do the journey. But we need to choose. We need to choose to make time to walk the way they're walking, even if it's not the way we're going. In that first story, you may say, I can't be the alongsider because I'm the one on the road lost. I'm the two on the road. Then my question is, what does God want to say to you today? Does he want to lift your chin up and say, there are people around who can help you, who might be able to help you think through this, who might be able to reorient you. In a time um, not that long ago, I was, I was in a really difficult place and I actually had to say to myself, are there people around me to help me through this? And I, I, I'm a visual person, so I drew a picture of a boat and I drew oars and on every oar, I assigned a person who I knew was in the boat with me. Some of you are here today. I I drew names on there of people that I knew would actually be in the boat with me in this hard, hard season. And I drew a little rudder at the back and I said, well, Jesus, you can be the rudder. And, And there were some people that I knew were in my boat, but I didn't give them an oar because, you know, you need to be wise as to who helps 
row you ashore. But I drew a boat and I said, who's in my boat? Because an alongsider doesn't necessarily have to be like these two best buddies here. It's not one alongsider for every one person. I think it's many alongsiders in your life. And if you are the two on the road and you are downcast and you are saying, this is not how it was meant to be, we had hoped it would be different, then look around and find some alongsiders. You might need to skip ahead to catch up to somebody who would be a good alongsider. You might need to have a think about, well, I want to say this later, but to not push people away. What does God want to say to you in the moment? In terms of being an alongsider, what does God want to say to you and who does he want to be in terms of your scars? Because an alongsider who's perfect is not a great deal of help to anybody. If there are things in your life that you know that have have been wounds that have healed and they are scars, then actually maybe there's some value in showing those. Maybe there's some value in disclosing those and being real rather than saying, well, I'm all just perfect and you can just get the shiny veneer version of me, the highlight's real, to actually be a little bit vulnerable, a little bit honest. Um, I think the, the fact that Jesus had scars was evidence of what he had done. And what if showing our scars is evidence that God has worked in us? What if in showing our scars we give evidence to somebody else that it can be done, that healing can happen, that wounds can be binded up, bound up. What if showing our scars actually makes a difference for somebody else? Oh, you might say, but I'm the wounded one. In that story, I'm, my, my wounds are gaping open and I'm broken and I'm hurt. And what I want to say to you is Isaiah 61. God binds up the brokenhearted and brings healing and releases the captives. That's what Jesus does. Who is God asking you to be? What if, what if we were really alongsiders? What if we actually went out of our way to be alongsiders with other people? What if we really did choose to walk alongside people, no, no matter what, what the cost to us, if that's who we felt God was nudging us to walk beside. A little while ago, my, my Jack had a mate whose dad died in really tragic circumstances and he was really struggling. And one day, Matt came over to our house and he spent about 45 minutes playing Ultimate Chicken Horse on the Nintendo Switch with my boys. And then at the end, about 10 minutes, having a conversation with Jack. How's it going? That must be tough, supporting your friend. In that moment, Matt, in spending 45 minutes playing Ultimate Chicken Horse on the Nintendo... I can't even say it, let alone play it. Um, But he actually, in that moment, came alongside Jack in the journey and then went back out again. And it was really, really valuable. What if we were alongsiders? What if we actually chose to do that? What if we broke bread with people? What if we ate with them? What if we sat around campfires with them in the difficult and challenging times? When I was in year 10 at high school, 
I was a tricky person. I was like all broken and wounded, like my wounds were gaping open emotionally and it was really, really tricky. And um, my friend Julia came up to me. Every time I was broken, she walked beside me. One day she came up to me and she said, you have to listen carefully, she said, we've got this guy speaking at our church and he's going to talk about God and I reckon God can solve your problems. And then she probably held her breath. You know, what a beautiful moment of me in this just broken and wounded place, having someone leaning in saying, come on. And you know what I did? I went, nah, and I pushed her away. And then later I went, oh, but I really want if that answer that she... And so I went back. You know, what a, what a great moment. And any young people sitting here listening, do not underestimate the value of saying to someone, my God might be able to speak into that and being an alongsider. And just in case you think that this whole alongsiders thing is for the grown-ups, the kids in the room, while you're doing your puzzles, you know, in that time when my Jack's mate was really struggling, it was right in the heart of COVID lockdown and he'd lost his dad and it was really hard and really difficult. And I watched my three sons invite him into our house and put him in our bubble and play endless hours of Minecraft with him and swing on the, the, the swing out the back and allow him to help in some of the projects we were doing at our house and put a mattress in the lounge room so that he could sleep over and share the space with him. And they, they enveloped him into our lives. And in a really difficult season, they didn't have to give him any clever advice because they didn't know any. But they decided to be a really good alongsider to him. And it was really, really good and really important And it was costly because sometimes it's easier to just do your own thing in your own house, but to actually be kind to somebody else and walk alongside them. Earlier this year, I had some surgery and I had someone come and bring two salads, two of the most epic salads I have ever seen in my life, and they pretty much fed me for a whole week. You know, that's what an alongsider does, is they come in and then they go and they they do something. In, In Carolyn's message, she said... They can't actually do the thing for you, but they can show you that that you are seen, is I think what she said. You are seen. A while back, you know, when I was really struggling along in life, someone used to come and drop off some meals regularly, and my kids called her the Uber lady because she would turn up in the driveway and they'd be like, I'm the Uber lady is here. I hope she's bringing nachos. <laughs> You know, that's what they do is they come in and they go out. They might walk a long journey. It might be a deep conversation. It might be a dropped-off meal. It might be a Nintendo Switch game. It could be anything. Don't ever underestimate 45 minutes playing Ultimate Chicken Horse on the Nintendo Switch with somebody who matters. Don't ever underestimate a text message sent to somebody saying, are you okay? How did it go? Hope it goes well in that thing that you shared with me. Don't ever ever underestimate stopping in the street and speaking to somebody to say, how are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. How are things? Instead of, yeah, bye-bye. Don't ever underestimate those things. Don't ever underestimate a phone call of a check-in. How did that difficult thing go? Also, don't ever underestimate the value of leaning in and putting a challenge to somebody, even if they push you back even if they push you away. Lean in and put a challenge. And if you are somebody who keeps pushing people away, stop. Because alongsiders are good value 
And this life is hard enough to live the ups and downs traveling alone. While I was, uh, I'll just skip over all my slides. While I was out in the wilderness with my boys in our backpacks, there was a moment where I was walking, just walking along in the silence and, you know, I think the, the, Jack was up ahead and the other two had sort of fallen behind talking about whatever they were talking about and I was walking along and I just had this sense where, um, where a voice inside me said, you'll never walk alone. You'll never walk alone. And it took me back to my nan's house when I was a kid and she had a TV up on top of the fridge and the TV on a Sunday morning would play church hymns and one of them was You'll Never Walk Alone. And the smell of Nan's roast in the oven and the sound of the poor quality song coming out of the TV and possibly my Nan humming along You'll Never Walk Alone sat really deeply in me. And, and I think it was God speaking to me in that moment. And then, you know, the, the birds chirped and I kind of came back into the reality of the, the crunching leaves under my feet and where the boys were. And I said to God, you're saying to me I'll never walk alone, but sometimes I feel alone. Sometimes I feel like I'm walking alone. And he said, I know, but you're not because you'll never walk alone. And I'm God and I promise that. You won't, but it feels like it, but you won't. And when you do, you're the one pushing me back away. You're the one saying I don't deserve it. So I'm walking along, listening to the birds, boys walking either side, and I said to God, I actually need to recognise that. So as much as we can do all this great work around being alongsiders to people, which I think we need to do, the main thing I want to, you to hear today is that there is no greater alongsider than Jesus. When God looked at the world, he said, I am going to take on human flesh and I am going to go. And I'm going to enter into that world and I'm going to walk alongside them. And when I have done that job of walking alongside them in order to create a way that they can be my people... I will then leave the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, to walk right alongside in every moment of your life. There is no greater alongsider than God. No matter how many alongsiders you have in your life, the one you need most is Jesus. So I want you to pick up these. You know when you go to a wedding or you go to a school function or you go to a party or a 21st and you go in and you find the table that's got your name at it and you wonder who you're going to be alongside? Woo! And you sort of take your breath and you wonder. I want you to grab your pens and have a think. It might well be that you are just an, an amazing alongsider to people. So write down who they are so that you can continue to be an alongsider with intention. You might be someone who says, I need me some more alongsiders. Stop for a moment and ask God, who's in my boat? And write them down because I guarantee you, you are not alone. Write them down. Write some names down now as the guys come up ready to lead us. Take a moment and write some names down. Ask God, who do you want me to be? Who do you want me to be with?
Who do you want me to be alongside of? Who do I need in my life? Do I need to speed up to catch up to somebody so they can be alongside me? Do I need to give up something so that I've got time to be an alongsider? You can write anything in here. It doesn't have to be just names. What does God want to say to you today? Who does he want you to be? What does he need you to know?